And everybody said, Amen. The incarnation is, in many ways, the hinge point of history. We talked about that in a couple of weeks ago on week one of our Advent series. And the incarnation itself was really a disruptive act, if you think about it. A disruptive act in the sense that for the religious people of the day, they expected this baby born who escaped the clutches of King Herod and grew in their midst and was clearly different and clearly gifted and clearly able to do some of the things that they were hoping that the God of the universe would do, didn't do what he thought that what they thought that he should do. And yet in the very same way, he was disruptive in the fact that through all of his life and then his death and then his resurrection and his ascension back to the father, there are quite literally billions of people who have staked their life on that weekend in history. Think about that. Billions of people Surrendering their life, their ambitions, their joys, their sorrows, their burdens, all to the feet of this poor Jewish boy, born to what we would say as last week, an immaculate conception, a virgin girl in Nazareth, which was a nothing. You and I are staking our life on that weekend that that boy died on a very common Roman torture device called a cross. And then he rose again to life. And then he ascended back to the Father. That's what we stake our life on. The incarnation is the hinge of all of it. Because if Jesus didn't come, then you and I are wasting our time. But to help stir your imagination this morning, just thinking about the words that we were singing, here comes heaven. What does that imagery bring to you? I want to allow C.S. Lewis to bring our conversation into full focus here. He wrote these words in his letter to Malcolm 13 and 14. He says this, it'll be on the screen for you. He says, in creation, God makes, he invents a person and utters or injects him into the realm of nature. He's creating. In the incarnation, God the Son takes the body and human soul of Jesus. And through that, the whole environment of nature, all the creaturely predicament into his own being, So that he came down from heaven could almost be transposed. Heaven drew earth up into it. And with it, I love this part, the locality, the limitation, the sleep, sweat, footsore weariness, frustration, pain, doubt, and death are from before all worlds known by God from within. And then this statement, the pure light walks the earth. The darkness received into the heart of deity is there swallowed up. Where except in uncreated light can darkness be drowned. Where else 
than in the uncreated light. And darkness be drowned. I love that statement. Darkness is swallowed up by the uncreated life. What a beautiful and powerful way to stir your heart this morning. Because as we've confessed each week of this, if we were to all get up and share, there is darkness in all of our story. There's darkness in your present story. And one of the differences that Christianity and the God of the Bible bring to the table is not that you are expected to overcome your darkness, but that the God of the universe incarnated, stepped out of heaven, and came to rid the darkness for you. But we have to confess that the realities of that coming down and swallowing up weren't exactly what Israel was looking for and aren't in this moment exactly always what you are looking for. Right? Because in my view, darkness getting swallowed up would look like Pat not being in the hospital right now. Can I just be real honest with you? And so we say around here that we're always in this commingled place where there's always brokenness and always light breaking through the broken places. And this is reality. This is where God meets us because for Israel, the preference was the king of kings, not baby things. <laughs> right? Babies are a lot of work, they're messy. And they certainly don't overcome darkness. As C.S. Lewis pointed out, he willingly took on the limitations and frustrations of being fully human. And as a result, this humanness was disrupting and disorienting to those chosen to care for him as heaven invaded the earth. Right? It's easy for us to sing those things now. Well, if you were to put yourself in Mary's shoes like we did last week, heaven invading the earth, heaven drawing earth up into it, didn't come like that beautiful image that you and I are thinking of. And the wonder and awe of that moment, it came through a baby, a real live baby. And oh, by the way, with circumstances where you would tell people, I'm pregnant, but trust me, it's God. Yeah, how would that go over? It wouldn't. Well, Mary, there's things that make that happen. Disruptive. Today, I want to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. What was Joseph going through when he got the news that his fiance was pregnant and he knew that it wasn't him? I think we can skip to the miraculous part of the story and forget that Joseph was a real person with real ambitions, with real hopes and dreams, and was certainly headed in a certain direction for his life. And that's where we find him. We find him being told that you are going to be the earthly and adoptive father of the God of the universe, robing himself in human flesh. You're going to help raise this King of kings and Lord of lords. What an amazing task. If we can allow it, their stories can actually breathe fresh oxygen into your story today.
And so here we are in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And the most matter-of-fact statement into a not-so-matter-of-fact story begins like this. Now the story, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, and then here's a key phrase, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Put yourself into the story. Before, listen, we are, I'm tr- I try every week to like give you a little thing that's like, yeah, we can equate to that. You, we all know what baby drama is, right? You, you, you picking up what I'm laying down? Baby mama drama? Yeah, well, you're chuckling. You're like, can I chuckle at that in church? Am I even allowed to? Is that even acceptable? Yeah, because it's life, right? There's brokenness everywhere. And the reality is, is that when Joseph gets this news from Mary, the explanation was that God did it. I just, if you think through the practical details of stepping into a conversation with your fiance, who you are so excited to marry, and to have her tell you she's pregnant, just think about the roller coaster of emotions Joseph's going through. I'm pregnant. It wasn't me. But an angel came to me and told me it was God. No, no, no. Not just that God allowed it, that, that it's, it's God. God's in my belly. <laughs> I can't imagine. I don't have any clue what would have been running through Joseph's mind at that moment. But I can tell you this, that it probably was not awesome. Great. That's great, Mary. Right? Like when Camden told me she was pregnant with Maddox, I was like thrilled, like overjoyed, like, oh my gosh, like amazing. And then I shared it with my family and her family and our, it was awesome. Imagining that Joseph's experience wasn't like mine. And yet that's where we find him. And then we learn some things about Joseph that I want to encourage you today with. Look at, look at the rest of the story. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but the bottom line is he could have. He very much could have publicly disgraced her and even worse. And so we're learning something about who Joseph is, and we're learning something about where Joseph's worldview came from. We're learning something about where Joseph walked in a day-to-day basis and what maybe his habits were that allowed him to, when hit with real news like that, respond in the way that's being described here. He resolved. What, what, what does resolve imply? That that news hit him hard. Because you don't resolve to do things that are easy for you, do you? I resolve that I'm going to sit on the couch and watch football today. I'm resolved to do that. Like, no, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't take any effort for me to do that. None. In fact, guys, we call it the nothing box. Are you, you know what this is? Ladies know. All the guys are like, huh? No, we, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Aaron disagrees. 
Right? We, we understand these things, and so yet here we are. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly. And then look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, he's a wise man. He is. He's considering all of these things going on around him. He's thinking through the implications of his decisions. And then the scripture says this disruptive thing. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Dude, that was a big deal, by the way, for him, him to be referenced as Joseph, son of David, right? Because what was important about that was Jesus was going to come through that line and it was necessary for him to come through that line for Israel to receive her king. And so even in a dream, Joseph's ears were probably perking up, much like Gideon hiding in a wine press saying, you got the wrong guy, no mighty man of valor. And he's like, who? Here's Joseph in a dream. Do not fear. We've been pointing out that to everybody that the angels appear to, the command is to not fear. And I wonder what you're afraid of today. I wonder what I'm afraid of today. What stands in the way of us communing with God in the same way that Joseph and Mary and the shepherds communicated and communed with God? We're going to take communion here shortly because we want to taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to have Jesus. What gets in the way of that? Advent is the invitation for you to look at your circumstances of life and say, what's getting in the way of me and Jesus? It could be fear of man. What will others think of me if I really worship the way that I am being spoken to by the Spirit of God? It could be the anxieties of life causing fear in your heart. It could be fear that God is not real, that God is not who He says He is. And any number of other things that you are capable of filling in the blank. And so here's Joseph resolving to do something difficult and being met by the angel of the Lord and being told to not be afraid. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What a job. Joseph, you're going to be the guy to name God with us. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. The most fascinating aspect of the origin story of Jesus to me, is that Joseph didn't turn inward. If I was going to be honest with you again, and I'm trying to be, if I look at the past few times that something disrupted what I wanted, or what I was headed toward, or what I needed, but really just what I wanted, we're being real. My responses 
were not like Joseph's responses. Which doesn't mean that Joseph was better than me or better than you. It means that Joseph was walking in a different way than I am walking. How does one get to the point where you can learn that your fiance is pregnant, it's not yours, and then you meet an angel who tells you it's God? Joseph is riding some kind of roller coaster here. And yet he's responding like I would love to be remembered of responding. But I ain't doing that yet. So what's going on here? What's going on with what Joseph is walking in? I want to just really quickly be your philosophy professor this morning and explain how Joseph got the way he got and how you and I can get the way Joseph got. And it really has very little to do with what you and I bring to the table and everything that God has brought to the table when heaven invaded the earth. This is what Advent is, but this is super important because it affects the decisions you make. It affects the way you see the world. It affects the way I see the world. It affects the way the church corporately interacts with the world as the world says, why can't I be this, that, or that? What do we do as a church when it seems mean to tell somebody they can't be what they believe they were meant to be? And we could apply that to any number of things, whether it be sexuality or gender or marriage or family or whatever the case may be. Why do we believe that God had a plan And is carrying out his plan. And human flourishing is wrapped up in that plan. Why is that? Well, it comes back to this underlying conversation. And it's become a public debate over what is termed essentialism and existentialism. Okay, And I want to just give you a really quick thing. But the lead-in question is, where did I come from? And what am I supposed to be doing? Right? You push a little farther, it's what happens to me when I die. (laughs) Does what I do now affect me when I die? And so you have things like Pascal's Wager and all these different things that have tried to answer that question. And yet it really comes back to a pretty simple question. Do we just simply exist and therefore have the free will to do whatever we want? Or were we made and therefore made with a purpose? Pretty important stuff. Existentialism suggests that we have no predetermined or predefined existence or purpose. We just simply exist. As a result, there are no fences to who you can become. We can define our reality however we wish. Let me give it to you on the screen here. The The School of South African Psychology said it this way. They give us a definition and they believe this. The upside of this take, existentialism, is that we have free will to determine, and here's what's important, we have free will to determine not only our fate, but also our personality, our values, and our worldview. Listen to this. Nothing is decided for us. Sounds good. 
It sounds good. But if you run that to this view where people are unlimited, free to define themselves as whatever they want, the problem is with that worldview that there is no objective standard for reality or truth or morality. You're like, why does that matter? To borrow the term from the Bible in the Old Testament, that means everyone does what's right in their own eyes. What is the problem? What are the obvious issues with everyone doing what is right in their own eyes? Chaos. Chaos. Because, listen, let me, let me just put it real plain. We all agree that pedophilia is wrong. We all agree that murder is wrong, that theft is wrong. Why? Because there's a standard for justice. There's a standard by which we can measure things and say, that's wrong, that's not, that's wrong, that's not. And when you bring that to the inside of you, and nobody gets a say on who you are, what feels like freedom will actually flatten you. Because if we're true existentialists, we cannot claim that something is right or wrong. Because it's not up to you, it's up to me. And so if I want what you have, I'm going to take what you have because that's what I want. If we are truly free to determine our own fate, personality, and values, then nobody can tell us when we're wrong. I would also argue that those chasing those critical components of life your fate, your values, your worldview, and we could list more, that chasing those critical components on your own will not liberate you, but it will put you in slavery because there is no answer to that question when it's only coming from within you. And so listen, if you're sitting here today and you've been running that trail and you're saying, I can't find what I'm looking for, I want you to know that the reason is because you have a predefined existence. The scripture says that you were made in the image of God and that's where your value comes from. That you could accomplish nothing else in your life and you would have intrinsic value because the one who made you, loved you, gave himself for you and has a purpose for you. The Bible says that you were created in Christ for good work. That you, that was prepared before you were ever even born, that you would walk in them. And so historically as Christians, we believe that our essence, listen to me, that our essence precedes our existence. In other words, we derive who we are from who God is. This has massive implications on how you choose to live your life. You've heard me say that I think most people's problem is not one of science or history or anything like that, that it's a lordship issue. And this is why. Because if I was made by God to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, as our ancient creeds say, then that has implications on how I choose to live my life. And that is not popular in our day and age at all. Our secular moment is living for I can do what I want when I want, how I want, because I am whoever I want. And I'm not here to beat up on people or point fingers, because the reality is, is a lot of us live that way too. We're what theologians would call practical atheists, where we show up at church and we say we believe certain things, and then we walk out. That's if we even come to church. 
You're smiling. I'm glad. Right? Because why would the Lord say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? Why would he say that? Because you and I, we need each other. Like when, when, when I don't come, you're missing out on something with me not being here. When you don't come, I'm missing. If we're a body, you picking up what I'm laying down? I'm missing a finger when you don't come. Missing a kneecap. You ever, you ever hit yourself on the shin? Listen, this is, this is not a shame on anybody. This is, this is a, we're not getting the full experience of what the body of Christ is if we're not going to do it. Right? Like this was designed by God to fulfill you. And if we won't go there, we won't get it. If Joseph had been an existentialist, can you imagine how differently that story would have gone? If his worldview was, I am on my way. I've got my lady, got my job, I'm getting out of Nazareth. I mean, did you hear what the theologians say about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm out. I'm up and to the right. Life is not always up and to the right. What happens when life goes down and to the left? We say that every week it takes one phone call, one diagnosis, one. Joseph's world was filled with meaning. He was trafficking in the seen and unseen realms and the circumstances he could see is what he was discerning and making plans for when the angel shows up in his dreams and he didn't miss a beat. Why? Because he was trafficking in this idea that God was always at work in the world that he couldn't see. You and I live in a day and age where that's increasingly difficult to see God at work in the world around us. But the scripture says the heavens declare the glory of God. He's there. So you put, you put that whole situation together and... It begins to make a little more sense. Like, how, how does Joseph get to that place? Was Joseph like some kind of crazy ninja dude that could do things that I can't do? No. We don't believe Joseph was deity. We don't believe Mary was deity. We believe that they encountered deity. And you can too. So let me give you just four things to write down before we jump into communion together. And these are really, I'm not going to unpack these a lot. I just want you to see them and maybe take some time this week to pray through them uh, in your own life this week. Help you turn your vision up. But there, there are four means at least, four means by which God was working through Joseph in this story. The first one, I already let the cat out of the bag. It's number one, Joseph never turned in. I'm praying about this in my life because it's so difficult when things disrupt what I'm doing. What's my first response? It is not usually to pray. Shame on me. So what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do in my life is what Joseph did in verse 18 and 19. That I would consider these things before I start blurting things out. That I would consider these things that God might be doing in this situation before I start raging about the things that aren't going the way I want them to. 
And that sounds nice in church, but let me tell you, on Monday, that's so hard. There are people, idiots running around everywhere. Can you believe it? Including me, right? We're related. Never turned in. I want to be like that. But that won't come from within me. This is why your worldview matters. If you determine your essence, then you're going to run down that hole and you might never get out. Aside from the Holy Spirit drawing you to himself. Joseph isn't flipping out about the drama. He isn't creating more drama. He isn't doing his legal right to rid himself of the drama. He has his vision fixed on the Lord. He never turned in. Number two, Joseph was living with character. Character wasn't something he talked about. Character wasn't something he was teaching. Character was something he was living with. In verse 18 and 19, I think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Essentialism. I create my essence. That is the pattern we live in. That is our secular moment. And existentialism, sorry. We would say to not be conformed to the pattern of this world and to be transformed, as Romans 12, 2 says, by the renewing of your mind, would be to recognize you are God, I am not. And I will live my life in light of that in a different way. That's what it looks like to live with character, predefined existence, God-given purpose that every single one of you have. Number three, Joseph was obedient. I don't even like that word because it scares me. It makes me feel like legalistic. There's nothing legalistic about what Joseph was doing here. Right? What allowed Joseph to obey? That he was yelled at to do something? What's the matter with you divorcing Mary? What's wrong with you? She told you it was God. That's not what's said to Joseph. What's said to Joseph is, fear not. God is with you. God is with Mary. God is being conceived through her. And I love the story finishes that when Joseph woke from sleep, listen, it's very simple for him. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. What a selfless act, by the way. And you can think about why. Practical, circumstantial obedience to God. Because, number four, Joseph trusted the Lord. You're not being obedient, having character, and having your vision up and out at all times because you're going to do it or because you're awesome. We do that. We can do that. We participate in that. We live with that because what we have seen the Lord do. We have seen Him do it of old. We have seen Him do it in the present, and we know He'll do it in the future. He is faithful, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He is faithful. He will do it. That's our confession. Nothing to do with what we bring to table. And honestly, this is what Advent is. It's the invitation 
to remember that he came and anticipate that he's coming again and that he will make all things new. And that in the meantime, we get to participate in that. And honestly, we don't do that really well. And I'm praying about that in my life. I'm praying about that in our life. What does it look like for us to do that well with each other? It looks like a lot more time together. So pray about that for you. Pray about that for me. Pray about that for us. What does it look like for us to be in communion and community with each other more often? This is the invitation of Advent. Where does my hope come from? The maker of heaven and earth. Who chose through the incarnation of Jesus Christ to come and be with you. He could have done it some other way, but he didn't. He chose to come and be present. And to go through what you and I go through. To ask Joseph and Mary to walk through what you and I walk through. And it was not easy. And Mary would eventually watch her son die on a cross. This is not an easy road that God's asking us to walk on. But it is a road that he made for you and for me and for us. And that is the invitation of Advent. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To put your hope in him. To prepare him room this Christmas. To put your faith in him. That no matter what obstacles come in your way, you know that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Amen? I want to 